It's June, which means it's a month of new beginnings. Um, it's graduation season, so we've celebrated with our high school students and college students as they've graduated from school these last few weeks. Congratulations to all of them. And the reality for them is that as much as <coughs> they kind of think they've finished something, they're actually just starting something new. And so we celebrate that with them. June is a big wedding month. Uh, how many of you were married in the month of June? I'm just curious. How many of you were married in the month of June? Okay, well, you're all non-traditionalists then. Never mind. How many of you were married in January in Maine? Yeah, just, um, obviously, when you get married, just work with me on this, you begin a new chapter, an exciting adventure, right? Amen. <laughs> all right, I'm going to change my topic right now then. Let's see what we got when you get married, how many of you remember getting married? Uh, okay. uh, I should have prefaced that because that's not always a great. Um, can we agree that when you get married, you have launched into a brand new and exciting adventure? Amen. Yes, okay. And for us personally, for some of our, uh, from, for Alethea and I and some of our closest friends, we've been talking about a lot about this lately because we're finding ourselves rapidly approaching a new stage of life where our kids aren't kids anymore and they're moving, you know, they're moving out of, the, out of high school teenager stage into adulthood and in some cases moving out of our homes and establishing themselves and it's uh, very much a new and uncertain chapter. <clears throat> for some of you, you're finding some relationships, <coughs> excuse me, changing in, in not so positive ways or you're being confronted with a new reality or with a loss. And, and even a day like today, it's Father's Day. And for a lot of us, we celebrate that. And for some, this is just a really hard day. But whatever your deal is, you know this transition in the next chapter is going to be a struggle. Or maybe you've just get, you're just getting started in this journey that we call Christianity, this whole idea of following Jesus and surrendering your life to him. And it's still new to you. Or maybe you're coming back. And you've been away and you've taken a detour for however long and now you're back. Either way, you find yourself in a place with values and priorities and thought processes and beliefs and even questions that simply weren't a part of your life a few weeks ago, a few months ago, or just a couple years ago. And you are right now in a new chapter for you in your faith. <clears throat> and for us as a church, uh, this has been a year of evaluation and assessment going back as far as last July. And then we got really intentional about this process back in November and a few months ago, we stopped doing some things that we'd always done, like our small groups. We kind of took some time to just kind of pull the plug on that as we knew it and to rethink. And to, so we're getting ready to retool and to relaunch in a few weeks. But for us as individuals and as couples and as families and as a church, I think life is a series of restarts. Aren't you glad? Do you ever feel that way, that your life is kind of a series of restarts? And um, I know I feel that way about my life sometimes. And a few months ago, uh, my wife, Alethea, and I celebrated 25 years of marriage. That's right, do the math. We were 12. That's right, when we got married. That's right. It's crazy. <clears throat> and I think about this journey that we've been on. <clears throat> and I was talking to Alethea about this the other day. And uh, she was a little bit shocked when I said this. But I think there's a sense in which the 25 years of marriage that she's, been, she's, she's had at least three husbands over those 25 years. And they've all been me. You know, um, for every stage of life and family life and ministry life that we've been through, I think uh, you kind of I've kind of reinvented myself and I've reinvented who I am as a person or who I am as a husband or who I am as a father. And uh, I've had to. Oh, that was weird. I was scratching myself right there and you could hear it in the microphone. I was like, what is that noise? <laughs> Distracting myself. It's going to be a wild day. I tell you what. 
<laughs> Score. Yeah. Is anybody uh, anybody find it a little stuffy in here? Should we turn the fans on just because? All right, crank them on high. Um, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah. So here I am today. I'm 46-ish years old, uh, 25 years into our marriage, uh, 25 years into uh, church ministry, and I think I'm a lot different than I was when I first got married when I was 12, you know, and when we first started in ministry, and when we first had our kids, and when I first met some of you, or even, even who I was when I was in my 30s or when my kids were young. Life is just a series of restarts. And we found that in the life of the church, it's a series of restarts. I mean, in the first years of the church, just about the time that we thought we'd settled into our first location and we got our whole portability thing kind of figured out and working smoothly, less than a year in, we changed venues and we kind of had to restart the whole process. And then we moved to the middle school. We did the whole thing over again about the time we kind of figured it out, thought we had it figured out and we were pretty comfortable. Less than a year into that, we moved again. We finally found a long-term location, uh, what we thought was going to be a long-term location. You know what? It turned out to be uh, this portable home at the Y. Someone planted the crazy idea that maybe it's time to think about getting your own building. And it wasn't even a church person that said that to me. Maybe that's why I listened. And we launched into this whole project. And I'll tell you right now, if you've ever been a part of a demo and uh, renovation project, you know that that whole process is just one restart after another. And then... About 10 years ago, we were finally into our permanent home here, and we finally got the facility kind of functioning the way we want. We discovered that all of our ministry teams, kids' teams, small groups, worship ministry, all these things restart from time to time. Life is just a series of restarts. And I know um, from talking with some of you that this is true, but I, I don't know everybody's story here. I don't get to have an up-close and personal conversation with everyone in the church on a regular basis, but I'm guessing, I'm guessing this morning, that there's probably an area of your life that you're thinking, I could really use a restart right now. Maybe it's your marriage that needs a restart. Maybe it's your parenting. You're looking at your kids and thinking, they're, they're not where I thought they would be, you know, at middle school or high school or college or 20-something or whatever. Maybe it's your career, and you're thinking, enough on this subject already, you've been talking about this way too much lately. But the truth is, you could really use a restart. Maybe it's your finances that need a restart. Maybe it's some relationships. Maybe it's your hope. Maybe you're just, you used to be a lot more optimistic than you are now. I think if we were all to look at where we enter today, we would have to say, okay, yeah, there's an area of my life. I know exactly what you're talking about. I know what it is already. We're two minutes in and I know what it is that needs a restart. For some of you, it might actually be faith. It might actually be what you believe that needs a restart. You used to feel close to God. You used to enjoy coming together with other Christians to worship. And you used to sense God's presence when you had some quiet, some time for quiet and solitude. You know, you could sense God with you. But right now, you don't feel particularly close to God. <clears throat> you keep coming to church on Sundays hoping to reconnect, hoping to feel something like that again. Or maybe you're not even sure why you're in church. Maybe you're just here because you're expected to be here and it's easier to go ahead and come than it is to explain to everyone why you stopped coming. I don't know what your story is. But maybe for you... That area of your life needs a restart. I think the key to staying engaged and to growing is to keep restarting. The key to to staying engaged with your spouse is to keep restarting. 
The key to staying engaged with your kids is to keep restarting. The key to staying engaged with where you are in the workplace and in your finances and in your relationships and in your faith is to just keep restarting. And I've discovered that this is true, and when you think about it, I think you'll agree with me, that some people stop starting. There are some people who decide at some point, I read a study the other day that said by the time you are 31 years old, you have, you have chosen all the music that you care to listen to. All the best music has been produced by the time you're 31 years old and you have no desire to learn anything new. But there are some people who decide at some point in their teens, in their 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s, wherever, they just decide, I'm not starting again. Maybe that's you. <clears throat> you're like, look, I've been through a couple of marriages, Okay. They're all the same. All men are the same. All women are the same. We're not going to restart this whole deal. No way. And some of you are so frustrated. I know you are because it's all you ever talk to me about. And that's fine. I'm not upset about that too much. You're so frustrated with your marriage, and you're so frustrated with your spouse, and you're so frustrated with your kids, and you're so frustrated with your parents, and you're so frustrated with your work, your job, your career. You're so frustrated with your finances. You're so frustrated with some friendships, and you've said to yourself, that's it. I'm, not, I'm just not going to start over again. I'm done with that. I'm going to stop starting. Some of you might be about done with church, because on any given Sunday, we have no idea when it's going to be somebody's last Sunday, and they just walk away. So you might be thinking there, I, 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 I used to think church was great. I don't think it's so great anymore. I don't think it's, this is certainly not the right fit for me, but I'm not going to put any effort in to find the right fit, so I'm just going to stop starting when it comes to that. And usually, you stop starting when you stop believing. <clears throat> if you've ever stopped starting in an area of your life, here's why you've stopped starting. You've stopped starting because you've said to yourself, I just don't believe it's going to get any better. I don't believe that the next chapter has any chance of being any better, so I'm not going to even bother turning the page here. I'm not even sure that there is a God, or if I I do believe that, okay, I'll give you that much, but I don't see any real evidence that He really does love me. I don't believe that it'll ever get any better than this, and you stop starting because you stop believing. And the question is, why? And I think it's a very much a universal kind of experience that at some point in your life, you're going to be tempted to stop starting. At points in my life, I've been tempted to stop starting in certain areas of my life. Why is that? I think there's a pattern. And I think for a lot of us, uh, this is kind of how it goes. I know it's generalizing, but see if you can identify this. You start out in your late teens or your early 20s, and you're just super optimistic Maybe even some people would say idealistic, but you think you're optimistic because whatever comes next, it's going to be awesome. You can't wait for what's next. You can't wait for this week to be done. You can't wait to get to a certain date on the calendar because it's going to be awesome. And then the idealism and the optimism of your teens and 20 gives way to the realism of your 30s. <clears throat> some of us are in our 30s right now. Some of you are in your 30s right now. And you, if you look back and you think about it, you were probably more optimistic a decade ago than you are today. Because the reality of life just seems to be setting in, and you had high hopes for your marriage, and now you're thinking, is this as good as it gets? You were so excited to become parents, but now you're in one of those difficult stages which lasts from about birth to 20, and you're wondering if it ever gets any better. And you started off, it's not true, and you started off in a job and it wasn't the perfect fit for you, but you knew that in time, the right opportunity would come along and, and you, you, you connect paths with somebody and you'd be in your sweet spot and someone would pay you good money to do the thing that you love to do. 
but you're still in the same job and you're still making the same money and the future doesn't look that exciting to you? Because the optimism of your teens and your 20s often gives way to the realism of your 30s, which, and this is where you have to be so careful, can easily give way to the cynicism of your 40s and 50s and beyond. Why is that? Why is it that so many people get so cynical? Why is it that so many people struggle to say, that I believe the next chapter in our relationship has the potential to be better? I believe the next chapter in our family life has the potential to be better. I believe the next chapter in my career could be brighter. I believe the deeper, deeper faith for me is possible. I believe that a restart in this particular area of my life, whatever it is, is, is possible. Why is that such a struggle? I think it's because people stop believing. And usually you stop starting because you've stopped believing. <clears throat> There's a man who lived about 3,000 years ago, and we know him as King Solomon. And at the time, he was known as the wisest man on the planet. Now, think about that for a second. It, think about that. Is there anyone alive today? Because we just watched some, some uh, playoffs in hockey and in basketball. And in hockey, you're like, that guy there is, is arguably the greatest hockey player on the planet today. Or that guy there is arguably the greatest basketball player on the planet today. Think about this. Is there anyone alive today who's known for and is widely accepted that he or she is the wisest person on the planet, in the whole world. I mean, I don't know how word got out with Solomon, but this was his reputation. <coughs> he was known all over the world for his wisdom. I, we sang, open up the heavens, and now it's, you hear that? Anyway, he asked God for wisdom, and he got everything he asked for. He's, I think till Jesus walked on the earth, he was the wisest man who ever lived. And he wrote a meaningful section of the Old Testament, uh, that part of the Bible that tells the story of God's redemption plan before Jesus showed up. And one of the books that Solomon wrote is the book of Ecclesiastes. And, and I don't know if you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes or not. It's not that long, but it's not easy. Um, it's a great book. The older you get, the better it gets. When I read it as a teenager in my, and in my 20s, I was like, okay, this guy is, a, is cynical or he's disillusioned or he's bitter about something. What is his deal? You know, I don't get where he's coming from. But you read it in your 40s and you're like, oh, now I get it. Okay, this is starting to make sense now. So I, I want to look at this one little verse, and I don't do this very often, but usually I like to take a whole passage and kind of give you the context and kind of walk through it. But this morning I want to really focus on this one verse because it's so true, and then we're going to look at a different passage. But I, I wish this, this is true, but I wish it, kind of wish it wasn't, but it's true. You tell me if you think it's true. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 18, Solomon says this, For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Let me just repeat that. With much wisdom comes much sorrow, and the more knowledge, the more grief. In other words, the more that you know, the sadder you get. And I know you came to church to be inspired this morning, so isn't this awesome? That the more you know, the sadder you get. I'm always like, learn more, be in a learning mode, read, get stuff into you, learn more, and you'll be sadder. You know, put that as your Facebook status right now, you know. Inspired from church today, you know. The more I know, the sadder I get. But you've had this experience. It's, it's kind of a pessimistic or cynical verse. It's kind of also where Solomon was at in his life, but I, I bet you think it's true. <clears throat> that with much wisdom comes much sorrow, and the more knowledge, the more grief, the more you know, the sadder you get. And you've had this experience anytime you've stuffed your face with your favorite snack food. It's awesome until you look at the nutritional information. 
I mean, you're like, I'm getting to the place now where I really need some, I really need bifocals, but I'm not so really convinced I want them because I I'm now cannot read the nutritional information, so that's kind of working for me. But you're looking at that and you're like, how many calories in one potato chip? What? How does this work? You know, I ate seven chips and I just took in 400 calories. And some of my favorite restaurants have completely ruined the experience for me by putting the calorie count on their menu. I'm, I'm thinking about just boycotting those restaurants altogether. I mean, really? You know, and, and the ultimate for me was a few years ago when Starbucks did that. I'm like, seriously, you have to do that to me? Um, but anyway. Oh, because the worst is your favorite summertime drink, right? I mean, you just enjoyed that frozen caramel coffee culotte until you realized that there's nine, I looked it up, 900 calories in that drink. 900 calories. And it's gone before you get through three traffic lights. You know, and you're like... The more you know. And you thought she was great, but now you've gotten to know her. And you thought he was amazing, and he's unlike any other guy. But after a while, he's just kind of like every other guy you've known. And the more you know, the sadder you get. Do you know how... How do you make sure, then? How do you make sure that knowledge doesn't lead to cynicism? How do you make sure you don't get to a place where your heart grows hard? Because at the end of the day, if, if more knowledge leads to more grief, who wants that kind of story? I mean, who wants to be the cynical 50, 60, 70-year-old, whatever? Who wants to be that person? Have you ever noticed the pessimists like to refer to themselves, themselves as realists? I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. No, you're a pessimist. You know, you're a cynic. Who wants that kind of story? I think great life stories get written when you believe. And we get excited when people come to believe around here, and we get thrilled when people decide to follow Jesus and put their faith in Him as their Lord and Savior, and when they decide to follow Him and baptize in baptism. And, and we've, we've had a couple of baptisms in the last couple of months, and those are, those are landmark days for us as a church, and we get really excited about that. Because when you believe, it's a great thing. And I think great life stories get told when you believe, and that's great it really is. But beyond that, listen, listen, I think the best life stories get written when you believe again. So if you're sitting there wondering if you can, if you can really embrace this restart idea, and if you really can believe again, if you really can hope again, if you really can trust again, I want to encourage you that the best stories get written when you believe again. And some of you are writing great stories right now because you're finding yourself believing God like you've never believed Him before. And it's not just believing one time, because most of us believe one time, it's believing again. It's like, hey, that really didn't turn out the way I'd hoped. My life isn't really going very well. My marriage isn't really what I'd hoped it would be by now. I'm not where I'd hoped to be in my career by now. My relationships with my kids, you know, it's not that great. My circle of friends isn't really doing it for me. I'm not so sure that I've left much of a mark. I've been around church for a while now, but I'm not sure what I really believe about the whole thing right now. But I'm going to believe again, and I'm going to trust again, and I'm going to hope again. And some of you are like, you know, done, that's awesome, I can do that. But for some of you, I acknowledge that this is extremely difficult. Because you've believed again at some point in your story and you got burned again. You trusted again and you got taken advantage of again. You hoped again and you were disappointed again. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do today for the next few minutes. I'm going to ask you to believe again, to hope again. To trust again, because that's when the best stories get written. So today, today we start year 19 at Faith Community. Can you believe that? 
And we're nearly halfway through 2015. Oh, happy first day of summer, by the way. You know, we're turning the corner now. <clears throat> and we, uh, <clears throat> we're going to see our summer attendance take a hit for the next uh, eight to ten weeks, and that's retroactive by four weeks. Uh, it's already happening, and it's going to be frustrating, mostly to me. Uh, but during those, because I can't imagine anybody having something more important to do, more anything they'd love to do more than being at church listening to me talk for 45 minutes. But during these summer months, we're going to turn the corner on one of the more important aspects of our church's ministry, and we're going to get really intentional about retooling our small group environment. And we're going to gather for some conversations about how to make those environments as engaging and life-giving and transformational as possible. And sometimes you need to come back to the starting line to get things back on track or off on the right foot or maybe to the next level. So over these next few weeks, we're going to talk a lot about this. and We're going to turn the corner on this super important element of church life. And we think this time that we're in right now at Faith Community is the beginning of a brand new era. Did, did you know that from November, you would never know it today, but from November to May, we saw an average Sunday attendance grow by 20%. Yeah, in just, uh, just over six months. And that's awesome. We're working hard at the assimilation process, making it clear how to move from those outer rings of the concentric circles to the next circle. And we believe that a variety of connecting environments, those smaller connecting environments, are critical to that process. And we said since day one at Faith Community that life change happens best in small groups, that the small group connecting environment is where wholesale transformation is most likely to happen, not here in this environment on Sunday mornings as much as some of us love it. If we really, and if we really believe that, that it's a small group where life change happens, then it's time for a restart. And we acknowledged that a few months ago. So we believe that the local church, when it's functioning as Jesus called it to function, when it's functioning as the the local church is functioning as the body of Christ, as the hands and feet of Jesus on earth, that as the body of Christ, the church is the hope of the world. We really believe that. And the church should be the best place on earth to believe again, to hope again, to trust again. And if that's going to be true, we've got to create some of the very best environments for all of us, for unconnected Christian friends, for our unchurched friends, and they're not going to be always the same environment that's going to connect with all these people. We need to create the very best environments for all of us to interact with truth, to connect with one another, to engage with the Word of God in our lives. And I think we have an opportunity as a church to help people, to help each other, because this is the heart of the gospel. I believe we have an opportunity to help people, to help couples, to help families, to help our community. I believe we have an opportunity to help everyone we connect with to believe again, hope again, trust again. It's one of the reasons Jesus put the church on earth. It's Jesus who brings that kind of life. It's Jesus who brings that kind of hope. And if you're like, okay, I don't know if I can do this whole believe again. I really can't hope again. I'm not sure I can trust again. I, I would just say, I think you probably just need more Jesus. Just think about all the people in your life, all the people in our community who need a restart. Just for a second, kind of lift up out of your own little world and think about the people in your life who need a restart, who wonder if there is a God, and if there is, what's he like? And if there's a God, does he even know my name? Does he really care about me? When you think about these people that we do life with, That's why we do what we do here at Faith Community with hopes that through one of our environments, through the Sunday worship experience in this room, through one of our children's ministries, through a connection that we make around the track or around the fire at Relay for Life or 
serving side by side at Lowe's and Fishes or serving water at the MDI Marathon or whatever it is, through getting to know someone in a small group environment, that they would begin to believe again, to hope again, to trust again, because the best stories get written when you believe again. <clears throat> Some of you, maybe you've been around church for a long time, <clears throat> and you've been coming to this church for a long time. And you got your parking spot, and you got your seat, and you sit in the same seat every week, and you pretty much just occupy your seat on the sidelines, and you, you've never, I'm just looking at my notes right now, and you've never really gotten into the game, because if I look up, I know where you're sitting. You've never really gotten into the game, and you've never really mixed it up, and you've never gotten any grass stains on your uniform, because you don't really believe that God could possibly use you. That's reserved for the super Christians. You know who they are. Or maybe you used to feel close to God, but you don't feel so close to God anymore, and you want to believe again. You want to believe that the difference you can make in the life of someone else can be significant. How did you come to believe in the first place? Because some perfect, super holy Christian superhero convinced you to believe? Probably not. Probably because some less than perfect person, just like you, invited them invited you to come check it out. This morning, if you're at a place where you're thinking, I really wish you were talking about something else today, because I think I've become a cynic. I don't see myself believing again. I'm not going to believe in the church again. I've been burned too many times. I'm not going to believe in the Bible again because there's sections in there that when I actually read it just don't make any sense. Or when I don't read it, I don't understand it. I'm not going to believe in love again. I'm not going to believe in relationships again. Don't see it happening. I'm not going to believe in people again. I just don't see myself trusting again. Here's the cool thing about God. That with God, what we will see comes from nothing that we currently see. Oh, I know, that's a little deep. What you will see in your life if you believe again, if you hope again, if you trust again, if you put Christ at the center of that, what you will see will come from nothing that you currently see. And you're like, what in the world does that mean? What are you talking about now? I think the Bible explains this to us. So I want to look at a passage of Scripture from the New Testament, from the book of Hebrews. I'm going to be in chapter 11. If we were to take the time to look at every verse in chapter 11, we'd be here till 4 o'clock. So I'm going to just kind of highlight a few verses in this chapter. So don't even try to read along. I'm going to put them on the screen because uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of be all over the place. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 11, <coughs> verse 1. It says, Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. And the reason you don't believe is because you can't see it. I can't see a new day in my marriage. I can't see a new day in my career. I can't see a new day in the church. I don't see it. Well, that's where faith comes in. It's a confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. And it gives us assurance about the things that we cannot see. And the reason you don't see it is because you don't believe it. Faith works the opposite way. See, if you believe it, you begin to see things that you didn't think were possible. So in the next few verses, Hebrews 11 kind of does this catalog of people in the Old Testament, all this incredible faith that they demonstrated. So it says this, verse, uh, verse 2. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. 
And regardless of what you believe about creation, because some of you are like, it's seven 24-hour literal you know, days, exactly 7,241 years ago. And some of you are like, well, what about you know, evolution and the Big Bang and millions and billions of years? Can we all just agree on this? There was a time when there was nothing. There was a time before there was actually time. And when you can explain that to me, that'd be, that'd be great. There was a time when there was nothing. And if God had invited you to be on the creation committee and he said to you, soon there will be galaxies and supernovas and the Milky Way and planets and solar systems. He's got a whole PowerPoint presentation there. And you'd be like, no, 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 that's not possible. That, that's crazy. I mean, there's nothing right now. And God says, but everything you will see is going to come from what you can't see. And you're like, oh, okay, what? I'm going to create things that you can't even imagine. You cannot only, only not only can you not see them in their physical eye, you can't even imagine what they are. And what you now see and what you're now a part of came out of something that couldn't be seen in that moment. And the writer continues, verse 6. And it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Now, the writer of Hebrews, and <coughs> we don't know for sure who wrote Hebrews. That's why I'm not saying the writer's name because we don't know. But the writer goes on in this list of famous people from the Old Testament who were well-known for their faith. Wouldn't that be cool to be well-known for your faith? and for their part in the story of the coming of the Messiah and of God's redemption of of humanity. So let me just read some of this. I'm just going to kind of roll through uh, some of these verses. Verse uh, verse 7. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner, living in tents. And God said to him, I'm going to make you a great nation. So Abraham had a son, and he had a son. And it says, so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Verse 11, it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed, well, she actually laughed at first. Then she believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead. You know, it's like God is starting with me. It's like a restart. This redemption story is restarting. A nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there's no way to count them. Verse 17. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who'd received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Even though God had told him, Isaac is the one through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham, do you, do you love me? Or do you love what I'm doing for you, Abraham? And Abraham says, well, I love you, God. I loved you long before we had Isaac. I still love you, so I'm going to put him on the altar. Verse 19. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child. Some of your parents said that about some of you. We have an unusual child. And they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. Verse 27, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. And he kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Think about that. He kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground dry ground, but when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. 
It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Listen, they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. That's what Jesus is. He, in his words, he is the resurrection. We all need resurrection. From time to time, we all need a restart. So my question is simply this. What in your life needs a restart? What do you need to restart? Is it your marriage? Is it your hope for the future? Is it your belief in God? Is it your faith that you used to have, but you kind of let it fade away? Is it your finances? Is it your friendships? What in your life needs a restart? And then, this is hard to do, but then beyond yourself, ask yourself this question, who in my life needs a restart? There's probably someone in your life that you care a lot about who needs a restart. You've got a best friend who needs a restart. You've got a neighbor who needs a restart. You've got a coworker who needs a restart. You've got a child who needs a restart. Probably someone sitting near you that you know, and they need a restart in some area of their lives. Who in your life needs that? That's why we're going to be having conversations and relaunching our small group environments to give them as many opportunities as possible to experience life change, to restart. So if you're like, okay, this message doesn't really apply to me because I'm like too far down that path. I'm not even, I don't even think people can restart. I don't think I can restart. Do you know why you lose hope? If you're one of those people, like most humans who tend to lose hope. You lose hope when you project past failures onto future situations. Right? It's like, oh, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I've dated so many guys. They're all alike, even the Christian guys, so it doesn't matter all the same. It doesn't make, doesn't make any difference. I've been through so many jobs. I've been through so many friendships. I've been through so many financial hardships. We're so far down this path in our relationship that, it, yeah, the idea of going, no, it's not going to happen. You're projecting past failures onto future situations. Great stories get written when you believe, and the best stories get written when you believe again. So this morning, I want to invite you along. I just believe our Heavenly Father is inviting us to write a great story. So I want to invite you to restart. What do you need to believe again? What do you need to hope again? What do you need to trust again? What is it in your life that needs to restart? Would you open that up to God and offer that to Him? And then who in your life needs a restart? Would you simply pray, pray, God, use me? Would you use me to help bring my friend to Christ?
So let's believe again. Let's hope again. Let's trust again. Let's make sure that the church is the best place in the world where we can do that. Believe again. Hope again. Trust again. I'm going to ask the band to come to the stage. And as they come, I think we've arrived at a... And you've all seen a band come to a stage, right? So we can just let them do their thing. Um, I think we've arrived at a decision point. For some of you, while I've been talking, it's been obvious to you. You know. You know the area of your life where you, where you need a restart. It might be in a relationship. It might be in your marriage. It might be in your job. It might be a destructive habit in your life. It might be an area in your physical health. I don't know. I, those are just some ideas. But you know. And I want to encourage you to make this a landmark day for that part of your story. And most of the time when it comes to restarting, it's going to require something of you. It's going to require some effort. It's going to require some work. It's going to require maybe learning something new. It's going to require some hard decisions. It's going to require some difficult conversations. It might require some accountability. So today, you probably need to bring someone else into this process with you. Maybe the area of your life where you need to restart is in the area of your faith, in your relationship with God, in your relationship with the church, in your relationship with other believers. And just like the father in Jesus' story, the prodigal son, your heavenly father is waiting He's just watching and waiting for you to appear on the horizon. And the moment you make your move towards him, he will come running to you with arms wide open because he can't wait to have you back. Whatever the decision point is for you today, whether the, whatever the application of this message is for you, I want to encourage you at any point during the music today, take one of those Connect cards. It's in the seat pocket somewhere near you. And on the back of that, if you turn it over, just in the comment section, just write something like, today I'm restarting. And you can leave it at that. Or you can write all the detail you want to. It doesn't, we're not going to post that on the Internet. Uh, but just whatever it takes for you to kind of process that. And then when you're done, anytime during the music today, uh, just, just come to the front of the room and maybe right up here in this front row, just leave them right there on those chairs right up there. And go back to your seat. In just a minute, we're going to sing a song. And uh, we just introduced this, this song last week. <clears throat> we closed our service with it. Um, and uh, I think you probably went home singing it, or at least the hook. You couldn't get it out of your head. So you, some of you were getting online, trying to, you're asking, what is that song? So I want to sing this song together because the lyrics just fit so perfectly for where I want us to be right now. The song says this. It says, all these pieces, broken and scattered, in mercy gathered, mended and whole. Empty-handed but not forsaken, I've been set free. I've been set free. You take our failure, you take our weakness. You set your treasure in jars of clay. Those are the words of the Apostle Paul from 2 Corinthians. So take this heart, Lord, I'll be your vessel, the world to see your love in me. And then the words of John Newton's hymn written in 1779, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. So, so I can see you now. I can see the love in your eyes. Listen. Laying yourself down, raising up the broken to life. The God that we serve, the God who loves us is a God of grace, and he's a God of the restart. And we believe that. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
There are people in this room this morning who need a wholesale restart. It's too overwhelming to even begin to narrow it down. They just need a wholesale restart. They need a life transformed by your grace. There are people in this room who need a restart in a particular area. They love to write that story. But they are waiting to restart. May this be the day. Heavenly Father, there are people in our lives that we do life with every day on a regular basis who need a restart. May we be sensitive to the promptings of your Holy Spirit as we interact with them. We truly do want to be vessels that you can use to bring Jesus into their lives. So God, give us the courage and the faith and the confidence that we just simply aren't going to find within ourselves. May your Holy Spirit do his work in us. To see that there's a great story to be told if we will believe again, hope again, trust again. And may the transforming work of your Holy Spirit go way beyond our individual lives. May it reach into the lives of the people that we do life with in our families, in our workplace, and in our community and in our world. We give you praise in Jesus' name.